It's another week and another edition of the Pat Richter Show right here on 100.5 ESPN, the ESPN app, and Wisconsin on the man. Happy Saturday. How you doing, everybody? Alex Strofe hanging out with the former Wisconsin Athletic Director, the man and the legend, the great Pat Richter, joins me on the Pat Richter Show as he does each and every Saturday morning. Pat, how are you this week? Good, Alex. How are you today? Oh, no complaints here. I mean, we've had a, you know, by the time this is airing, we've had almost a week to decompress <laughs> from all the bananas action that took place at the Kohl Center last week when uh, when Michigan came to town. I know you did a uh, I know you did an appearance on the jump around with Jim Rutledge earlier this week kind of diving into this. But but I want to kind of rehash because it's it's been a couple days now we've experienced some of the fallout and some of the repercussions that have come from this uh, scenario, but uh, your immediate takeaway when you saw everything that happened was what? Well, first of all, you you don't expect it to happen, and you kind of wonder what in the world did did occur because you know it, it seemed like the end of the game went as you'd expect it to, with uh, not being able to get across the line, and you're kind of half wondering are they still thinking they're going to be able to foul somebody and miss a free throw and come back and narrow the margin? Was it because of uh, tournament seeding and things like this? I don't know, but then they. To see everything kind of fall into place like that, it just you know you just wonder what happened, and and I think that uh, seemed like the university, I think university police involved, they seemed to get in the middle and kind of take things at, uh, in the hand. But the thing, the thing that that I really been the last couple of days and afterwards is just you know listening to the way the national media uh, responded, things like this, some of the ESPN guys, and. Uh, Really, kind of a little bit bothersome because they took a position, many of them, that uh, just basically what they saw or heard, didn't know really the facts of the situation to any extent, and then to talk about things about you know, invading space, the entitled and things like this, words that I don't think appropriate at all, and uh, because if you start to sort it out, you know, you got to lay the blame where it is. Somebody mentioned a comment saying, "Well, I, I was appalled that Greg uh, didn't get a." They didn't get a suspension, somebody said. For what? Because he responded? Right. And I think you sit there and think about this whole situation, and Greg is right. He's got got his own team he's got to worry about, and if the guy's going to press, you'll do everything to break the press. I mean, it's a teaching moment, as as a coach would think. And so when they had the ball out of bounds, and the referee, much to his credit, Told him the options and said, "Well, if you take the ball out of bounds, you'll get another ten seconds on the free th- or on the the uh, across the center line." And well, why wouldn't you take that? So okay, that's what he did. And then that's fine. The game is over. No, no big deal. Didn't think anybody should be too excited about it. Mm-hmm. And then the thing that really transpired, and I tried to check, and some people that really were in the know and saying, well, "When did the actual words about?" You know, I'll remember that, which he said, use different words, I guess I won't use on the air. Well, I'll remember that, or I won't forget that, something to that effect. And in the line, first of all, he wasn't going to go through the line and shake hands. Maybe that would have been a better situation because if he was ticked off about what happened at the end, then clearly he was at fault in that regard. And uh, and then to have him coming through the line. And I, I, the reason I was asking about when that happened is because yeah, and I put myself in that position of rear guard. If I'm in the line and shake hands, you don't just shake hands and don't say anything, fine, all right. But it made it appear that on the air, a lot of these broadcasters were talking about, well, 
you know, he clearly he didn't want to talk to Greg Gard, and so Greg Gard, by putting his hand on his his elbow, was instigating the whole thing. Well, if somebody says to me in the line, and do you shake hands? Do you want to shake hands? Fine. You don't say anything? Fine. But if you say, I'll remember that, what's the natural reaction going to be? The natural reaction is going to be, wait a minute. You know, this is why I did it. You know, it's it's not something, why would you say, well, you can make a phone call and clear the air that way. Well, so Joan Howard could have done the same doggone thing. And so that's what kind of ticked me off a little bit is just the way it was kind of characterized because I think, and I think that what happened in the, in the suspensions and the fines and the, and the, some of the disagreement about, well, Greg should have had a, a one-game suspension. I think, to her credit, the Big Ten looked at it, got the facts together, asked you know, what was said, when it was said, and clearly said that that was the, the, probably the causation of this whole situation. And, uh, and they had the facts together so that they could mete out the punishment that was appropriate. And, you know, they didn't take into consideration, which everything came out at the end about the couple of technical fouls last week, mm-hmm. which means you get an ejection, I guess. And with Mark Turgeon, a set to a couple last year in the tournament and getting ejected. So this is not something that's just an isolated incident yeah. that uh, you're in a vacuum and saying, well, this is, this is what should happen. I think that, you know, certainly I'm sure there's discussions about whether or not it should be a an offense that warranted a, a dismissal or a longer suspension, whatever, because the fact is is that uh, the Big Ten has a policy and the kind of unsportslike conduct. There used to be a $25,000 fine and were a game suspension if something happened. We had one that happened in football, and uh, and so that's the kind of the policy. And so the Big Ten looked at it and came down with it. But, you know, you didn't – didn't, Maybe he didn't reach the level of a Woody Hayes situation because right. that's what happened to him. You know, he was, was fired. And uh, but you know, those are very, very things that do kind of keep an athletic director up at night in terms of <laughs> keeping a lid on everything. And that's what uh, happened when that kind of ex- and nobody really said anything about when Howard kind of grabbed Greg by the by the shirt and he let go fairly quickly because he realized he was out of line. So, uh, and he's a big guy. I mean, I didn't realize he was six nine. So, and so, I think they they got it right. You know, it'll be interesting to see both games are playing tonight, and uh, teams are playing, and uh, on Wednesday night. And so, it's going to be interesting to see whether you know they've got a fairly experienced guy in Phil Martelli, who can be a coach, and will be out beneath, and he was starting to kind of get into a little bit more of the rhythm, I think, of the game. So. It's going to be a tough one. Uh, we'll we'll be talking about it next week, and uh, but I think that the you know the national media kind of took it and ran with it a little bit without getting all the facts together and and the causation and making the judgments based on either lack of information or no information at all. Yeah, I mean, really interesting perspective there, Pat. Is obviously you're you're much more in the the know than than most of us, being the former athletic director at the University of Wisconsin. So it really is fascinating. And when you talk about the punishments, right? I think everybody from the perspective, including you and me, are going to look at it and say, okay, maybe they got this right, maybe they got this wrong. Overall, I think the Big Ten did a nice job uh, with with swift action uh, for Jawan Howard. It was five games and a forty thousand dollar fine. Two players suspended from the Michigan side. Uh, Jacoby Neath gets a one-game suspension on the Wisconsin side, and Greg Gard fined 
$10,000. And I do want to ask you about the athletic director side of this, Pat, because this is the real first big um, scenario or, or situation, I, I guess I would say, that Chris McIntosh has had to face in his first year as athletic director at the University of Wisconsin. I thought he did several things well uh, given the situation. The first, of course, being appearing at the postgame press conference aside Greg Gard and having his back, right? I mean, that, that, is, that is an immediate takeaway for all coaches at the University of Wisconsin right now that Chris McIntosh clearly has your back. So that's, that's the first sign that was really good to me. And the second... You know, internal opt- internally it looks good optics wise. Uh, externally, it's it's getting a little, it's getting a little uh, hate, and and you know there's there's a lot of conversations around it. But Chris McIntosh saying, you know this this fine on Greg Gard, the ten thousand dollar fine, is not a Greg Gard fine. It's a Wisconsin fine, and the University of Wisconsin will pay it for Greg. Uh, what was your takeaway with how Chris McIntosh handled the situation, Pat? Well, I think it was just fine. I think there was. Uh... It seemed like there was emotion in what he was saying. He was he was uh, very pointed and uh, wouldn't mince any words. And I think he probably made certain he found out what what was going on. And just like we talked before about what had happened, what the sequential things are, and the way he looked at it, probably the same way we we were just talking about, is that it was not the fault of his guy. His guy was just responding the way it should be. And uh, and through no fault of his own, the thing escalated. And so I think he did a nice job. It's not the kind of thing that you say, well, okay, my first uh, 100 days or whatever, uh, you might expect to have uh, this happen or something else happen. This isn't the kind of thing that you put down on the sheet saying, well, this is, if this thing happens, what, what am I going to do with it? I mean, it's kind of a case of first impressions. And uh, you got and that and that's probably more telling than anything else. It just kind of shows what the real point of the person himself in terms of the way he was characterized it. Now, not every one of those situations might be, if you're on the other side of the thing, you can't be paying fines and things like that. But in this case, I think it's really justified. But he did well. And uh, and I think, in fact, he got Kevin Warren involved, the commissioner involved on a fairly hasty basis, got him prized of what was going on. Same with him with Ward Manuel who was watching the game, I guess, in Michigan, and Ward handled it as well. So I think both of the ADs did an outstanding job in terms of what they could have done in the circumstances, and certainly we're more concerned about our side of things, and I think Chris did a great job. Yeah, I tend to agree with you overall, and uh, to your point, right? I mean, this is not something you can plan for, uh, a game plan for. This is not something you can anticipate coming, right? I mean, it, it happened so quickly, and I was in attendance at that game. It just happened so fast. So Chris McIntosh, obviously very quick on his feet. and, and sm- Yeah, I think you did. You're basically, you're, you're not looking at how you, how you, what's the justification or outcome or whatever. Right. You're basically talking about going through a process, in other words, something like that happens or another situation happens, I've got to find out what's going on, what happened, tell me what, what, what went on, what transpired, and, or what sequence and things like this so I, that I'm not out there. Because if, in fact, he didn't, and you get out there like you did at the press conference and whatever, that's something that – and some of it went national and everything else. So what you say is going to be kind of etched in stone in terms of uh, the way things happen. So it's basically a process that he probably is going through in terms of sorting out the uh, – kind of cause and effect type of situation in terms of what happened. Yeah, no, it's 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 certainly interesting. And, and you referred, you, you said you had a situation similar. Did you ever have a, a situation quite this explosive, Pat, when you were athletic director? Not really. We had one situation, ironically, 
was involved with Andy Kilbride, and he happened to be. Uh, it was in fact I was on a Zoom call with him just before the game with my son Barry. Or FaceTime. He was staying in the house, and he was his roommate. And so Andy got blasted because of kind of take, roughing up a Northwestern player, and uh, and everything was just everybody went off half cocked. And then when the replay came back, and it went back a little bit further than what happened, found out what the other person had done, Northwestern, I think it was, and uh, the other player really was quite quite clearly the instigator, and Andy probably was justified in what he did. And so we had we had laughed about that before the game, obviously, and I don't know if he stayed till the end, but I, we kind of kidded him and saying, he says, well, he just put on a show for you, just saying, well, this is kind of remember of Andy. But uh, he was a very intense player, highly, highly motivated, and kind of like a Davidson type. And uh, but you know you you had to make sure that you kind of saw the thing in a whole context, and you got an entirely different perspective. And uh, but some of the damage is done if people go off and make comments based on this, and with no justification for that, shouldn't be in any kind of an athletic contest. Da da da. Well, and you find out what happened, and you, and you put a continually. Clearly, a different perspective and spin on the whole situation. So, that's what you have to do in terms of dealing with the circumstances of any kind of a uh, unexpected uh, sequence and circumstances. Is make sure you got the facts straight, and then put your reasoning and thought process together and come up with the conclusion of what your position you're going to take. Great insight from the great Pat Richter, former Wisconsin Athletic Director, here on the Pat Richter Show, 100.5 ESPN, the ESPN app, and Wisconsin On Demand. Greg Gard said after that game, Pat, uh, he, he, was, he was sad that the kerfuffle at the Kohl Center, I believe we've dubbed it, uh, would overshadow another great thing that happened, and that would be Michael Finley uh, finally having his jersey retired. It was a great halftime ceremony. Uh, the first thing he said when he got the mic was, it's about damn time. Uh, so... It was overshadowed, but I know you know Michael, and, and obviously uh, you, you've got some great memories with him from, from his time at the University of Wisconsin. I don't want that to be overshadowed because I, I agree with Mike. It, it was long overdue. What did you think of uh, the ceremony for Michael Finley? Absolutely. I think uh, he was a very special person, probably at least in our tenure, one of the most high-profile basketball players that we had in, in the early 90s. and. Uh, and was you know there was Stu Stu Jackson I understand uh, Stu was at the ceremony as well, and uh, Michael went through some difficult times with respect to what he had to deal with, and not not necessarily from a basketball you know his his play, play performance, but there was a lot of turmoil in a sense. So you may remember that in I, I don't recall what year he was there in terms of when we. Uh, Stu decided to take the job at the Vancouver Grizzlies, which was a very good job, but it was in, in uh, July. So we didn't uh, go out and do a search or anything like that. We had to kind of get rid at it, and so we named Stan Van Gundy, his assistant, uh, to be the head coach. And uh, somebody asked me the other day, well, he had a five-year buyout, and I said, no, what we did is we kind of, because it was kind of, quickly we had to put things together as I was just not quite sure that it was going to work out necessarily so I wasn't going to pay five years of a buyout when I said well I'll give you a five-year contract but it's a one-year buyout and so you can recruit on a five-year basis we can see recruiting in the fact if it didn't work out then you get a one-year 
buyout, not mm-hmm. a five-year deal. And so it was a reasonable way to put it together. And at the end of the first year, we felt that it was just not working the way they thought. And so we made the, made the change. And uh, it's one of those situations, and I say this every time we talk about it, some of the situations where both sides turned out uh, came out pretty well. Uh, Stan had a fine career with Pat Riley in, in Miami, and uh, and then he had his coaching himself in the NBA and has made a great career out of it. And so, and we went our way, and everything turned out well as, as from our standpoint as well. Stu was the one that kind of, of course, brought in uh, Michael, and uh, and I think that it was a. A little bit not a mentor, but he, Michael was a, just a nice kid. He was a really good kid. Bertha Finley was one of the nicest persons you're ever going to meet. And highly charged up, just engaged. Mm-hmm. Uh, thought maybe she might get out there and pull the flag up because uh, that's what she used to do with the <laughs> cheerleaders when they had the flag. And it wasn't easy. It was kind of a heavy thing. <laughs> she, she'd be, he'd be leaning on it, but she was a she was a fixture. Everybody expected her to be there. and just a, a great, uh, great person. And so Michael's one of the special people, and he was kind of set the, the tempo in terms of uh, the high bar with respect to basketball. And it was uh, just in the first starting uh, couple years of our tenure in the early 90s. And, uh, but he, well-deserving. I think just the fact that he is, you can see what he's done after after basketball career with Mark Cuban in Dallas. Yeah. He's done an outstanding job, and he's got a high responsibility with the Mavericks. And uh, I think that uh, Cuban was very uh, smart by by picking someone like that to be part of his organization because he's couldn't have anybody and uh, any better person than Michael Finley. Well said. Yeah, he's the vice president of basketball operations with the uh, Dallas Mavericks. Currently, is what Pat's referring to. So. Great call there. Great story about Bertha. Uh, really fun insight there from Pat. And, you know, you, we talked about it a few weeks ago uh, on the Pat Richter Show. And I, I, I kind of want to revisit because you, you referenced Stu a lot. You referenced, obviously, the era when Michael Finley was there. I mean, that's really the era that kick-started what is now a, a, a nationwide, well-renowned program in Wisconsin basketball, right? I mean, that was such an important era for making Wisconsin's basketball program so so nationally well-known and well-respected, right, Pat? I, I'm not off base by saying yeah. that, am I? No, I think you're right. I think the fact is that when, when football kind of got on track with Barry, then uh, we looked at basketball. Uh, hockey was doing reasonably well, and uh, we looked at basketball. And, and, you know, Steve Yoder, just a great guy, no question about it, but we were kind of just treading water in basketball. And he felt that, well, we wanted to try to bring, elevate that program if it was possible, so we made the decision to make a change. Well, I maybe mentioned it before, but ironically, that decision to let him go and not renew the contract for next year was done a couple of days before we played the Fabulous Five, and oh, of course, wow. John Howard was on that team. They came to Madison, had them in the field house, and we beat them. I mean, it was, it was hard to believe. I mean, I, I look back and I say, that was incredible. But then you start to see some of the issues that they had come out with the fellow that was providing some money and things like this, and that tarnished their their tenure in Michigan for, quite, for a number of years, and yeah. with Chris Weber. In fact, one of the people that made a comment 
And I saw, I said that he shouldn't have been mad about Greg Gard calling a timeout. He should have been mad about Chris Webber calling a timeout because that was, of course, the kind of the, in the national title of the game. Big play. But, uh, but Stu, uh, and then we went uh, looking for a coach, and, and Stu kind of popped up out of the blue. There was a, a person locally in Madison who had been a manager, at, I think, at Oregon when he was a coach there and uh, an assistant. And he mentioned, he kind of followed him, he mentioned him, and, and to, and I, because he never came across my radar screen initially. And so we uh, we talked to him, and he was uh, willing to come and talk to us. He, uh, his wife, Janet, who uh, was in uh, her med school with a psychiatry uh, degree, was just graduating. So the timing was perfect, and so that was the only reason he was he was basically ready to move is that uh, that her schooling was over and he was now available he was doing some things with the NBA and uh, quality guy but he knew exactly what it took to be a successful program he was demanding and did some things for basketball that you know everybody was kind of taken for granted and uh, and just over over the years just uh, it was a short time that he was there but he certainly did well he got to the tournament. And uh, we got a good staff. Ironically, it's kind of interesting. One of the members of his staff was uh, Sean Miller. And uh, Sean Miller, of course, got in a little bit of hot water out at Arizona. Yeah. And, but he had been a very successful coach. And he was, of course, the kid that was on the Johnny Carson show, the dribbling wizard, I think it was. Yeah. He was four or five years old. But uh, that goes back a long time, about 30 years. But uh, Stu kick-started it. He, he kind of injected a lot of enthusiasm and and class to the program and I think that it kind of gave it a jump start and then uh, when we made the change with Stan we needed some stability and kind of settle things down a bit and that's when we got Dick Bennett and Dick came and of course uh, we got the Cole Center uh, uh, started with uh, Senator Cole's gift and uh, he did some great recruiting just put everything together, and we got to the final four, and and uh, that was uh, it was Dick's goal, and he decided to hang it up the next year, and and then we went to Brad, and then uh, he finished that season. We went to Bo after that, so and then uh, Greg took over after Bo left, and so I think looking back on it from a, an honest perspective, the basketball, the success of basketball is probably the most improbable. Uh, success that we we enjoyed and still enjoy to this day. Uh, football, there have been times when there have been some successful teams and off and on here and there. But basketball, you kind of go back to 47 when when they went to the NCAA and uh, won the title. Mm-hmm. And then our, our team in 1962, there, there hadn't been a team that had finished any high, higher since 1962 when I was there. And so uh, the basketball success has uh, really been very rewarding and uh, unexpected, but uh, it's been sustainable up to this point. I know how humble of a guy you are, Pat, but but I really do want to genuinely ask, how, how much credit do you deserve? Because every hire you made almost, just about on the basketball side worked out amazingly. I mean, you, you obviously get a ton of credit for the hire of Barry Alvarez, but then Dick Bennett and Bo Ryan, both hires you made as AD. So how much credit should we give you? <laughs> well, the scorecard just doesn't have any, any failures, but uh, <laughs> it's, it's not an exact science, picking people. But I think of the experience that I had at Oscar Meyer was very helpful. 
In other words, it was just in a different setting, obviously. It was uh, hiring people that uh, you understand the culture and the way your organizations run and things like that, and uh, trying to get as much information on the type of basketball person they were, this sort of thing. Uh, you know, it was fortunate when Dick was there, he obviously wanted the job, and it was something where he's saying, we, Dick, Dick Bennett can come. And if he does come, he's probably going to stay there for a long period of time. And he did until he got to the Final Four and then decided to move. And then, and at that point, it was a question of, you know, who can take over, pick up the pieces. Uh, and, and Brad did a good job up to that year. I didn't feel that uh, it was where we wanted to be at the end of the year. And, uh, and a little bit was kind of Dick's mentor, uh, protege, so to speak and a different kind of style of basketball, and then got talking to, we actually, it's been publicized, started talking to Rick Majerus, and then ultimately settled on Dick, on uh, Bull Ryan, and Vince Sweeney was involved, and Vince and I were good friends, and he worked for me, and and uh, after we spent an afternoon uh, with uh, Bo, I told Vince, I said, well, I want you to go home and come back the next morning, and tell me what the negatives are for hiring a guy like Bo Ryan. And so we came back the next morning and got together and said, well, what do you think? He said, we couldn't come up with any negatives. I mean, sometimes when you hire somebody that's been there before, yeah. you got to make sure there's no skeletons in the closet, so to speak. But uh, Bo had had a tremendous following, whether it was a Platteville or UWM, and he'd been successful. And the main thing, I think, in basketball is the fact that You've got five people on each side. It's it's not as complicated as football when you've got 11 on each side. Right. So if, if you're coaching, whether it's at Platteville or whether it's UWM, you've seen just about everything that they can throw at you, and so that experience is going to hold you in good stead and being successful is uh, is kind of the indicator saying, you know, regardless of what level it is, this person has been successful at, at, uh, in basketball. And so... And I think the, the kicker was, uh, ironically, Michigan was looking for a coach at the same time. And uh, Tommy Amaker was was in the mix out there. And so we were keeping in touch with the Big Ten. Jim Delaney didn't want to step on each other's toes. And so they went to Amaker and we went to Bo. And, and, and uh, Jim Delaney said that, that Rich Falk, who was head of the basketball operations, came to him when the opening occurred, and he said, he's the kind of guy we want in the Big Ten. He's a teacher, he's successful, he's a great uh, great person. And uh, he said, we missed out on John, Ben Brown, who went to California, who was a former Wisconsin guy. Mm-hmm. And uh, But he said Bo was the kind of person we needed in the Big Ten for, as a teacher and good basketball mind. And, uh, and that's what uh, Jim remembered that happening and uh it was it was significant because it's exactly what we got it's a great story it's a great story on the uh on the behind the scenes of the hiring of bo ryan here on the pat richter show on 100.5 espn the espn app and wisconsin on demand uh want to get to a few more basketball notes in the big 10 uh we'll get to johnny davis in just a second uh pat because uh, again, that guy's just doing incredible things. How many times do we, uh, we're going to talk about that every week for the next several years? I think when he uh, eventually goes to the NBA, we'll get to Johnny Davis in a second. But I do want to start out with Tom Izzo, and, and and it kind of 
revisits uh, the kerfuffle at the Kohl Center a bit. But I thought he had some really interesting comments um, about the timeout lines and how he sa- he called it the dumbest thing he'd ever heard when somebody suggested that maybe following what happened between Michigan and Wisconsin, handshake lines should be eliminated. And he went on a great rant uh, about four minutes long about how it was the dumbest idea he'd ever heard. I know you heard that, Pat. I know you heard some other comments from Tom Izzo this week, uh, who's been in the Big Ten a long time, been a fixture in the Big Ten, one of the great coaches that have come through a great conference. What would you make of his comments about the post-game handshake lines? Do you agree with them? Well, I think that there's certainly a a place for it. I think that, you know, this – it's always been viewed as being it is collegial. I think the fact is is that they showed some clips with uh, Joanne and, and Greg in the past, and it was very collegial and kind of uh, you know pat on the back type of stuff, you know, cajoling, laughing, and things like this. And it's kind of a, it just signals that it's over. I mean, you play twenty some games in the Big Ten, and uh, and so you, you can't take things too seriously. And uh, I think it's just one of those things where there's always a knee-jerk reaction sometimes and, uh, and stopping it. I know there's a number, I think Seth Greenberg had talked about it as well, being something that maybe is more in the worn it's, it's a usefulness. But uh, I think that there's a lot of things. You see it a lot of times, you know, guys that maybe played against each other in high school or teammates and things like this. It's uh, kind of a you know, okay, it's over, you know, be the best person win, and uh, we go on about our business. And uh, so I, I think that uh, you just got to be be prudent on a situation, understand the dynamics of the game. I don't know that anybody would have understood the, the reasoning on the Saturday or Sunday in terms of uh, what happened in Wisconsin, but uh, be that as it may, you know, you got to understand the dynamics of the game and, and the referees involved and things like this, but but I think there's probably still a place for it. Uh, I, I know that it used to happen, and there still happens in hockey a lot, but uh, those guys are wearing helmets. <laughs> Maybe that is excuse right. you wear a helmet. <laughs> That's what you issue helmets before we have a the shake hands line. But, Could you imagine? But it's gotten to be, uh, I think, in terms of, uh, for the most part, 99% of the situations in the, in the conferences are, are very collegial, longtime yeah. friends, and... Uh, you know, it just uh, they're heated at the moment. I'm sure that their remorse is there, but they're going to be back in the situation the next time. And I think that uh, you get probably friends. There's probably guys that Johnny Davis is shaking hands with. Was it uh, McCready or Ivy? I guess it is. Yep. Where he played with the summer. Uh, it's obviously competition, but you can bet that they like to reminisce and shake hands and and congratulate each other after the game. So I think there's a place for it. Yeah, I tend to agree. Um, as long as we're not issuing helmets for basketball players, Pat, I think that that might get a little. Then, then we might uh, need to drop or draw the line there, right? Yeah, helmets and gloves. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or just let them go at it like hockey players do. Who knows? Maybe that's the solution after all. Uh, yeah. But uh, interesting comments, nonetheless, from Michigan State head coach Tom Izzo. And the Big Ten, also very interesting as we kind of get down to the wire. As of the airing, Wisconsin has three games left as of recording. Uh, one game tonight uh, as we record on Wednesday. Um, but four games left for the Badgers, and they're still right in the race. Uh, just a half game back of Purdue, and they play Purdue uh, on Tuesday, uh, the, the first of the month. That's the first uh, game of March. So obviously that could be a very big game uh, when it comes to seeding in the Big Ten tournament. 
Uh, Pat, I mean, anything's possible. I think, you know, obviously behind Johnny Davis and Greg Gard, this this team has exceeded expectations already uh, with, with a couple games left in the season. But but how do you how do you see this shaking out? I mean, there's a there's a ton of really good teams in the Big Ten as we've talked about the last couple of months. But Wisconsin is right there in the thick of it all of a sudden. Yeah, I think the ones that scare me the most is the, the one tonight, Minnesota and uh, Rutgers. It, it, you know, you're away from the Kohl Center and playing games like that. They've each Minnesota just you just never know who's going to show up at that, uh, that situation and they. I think they got one of their better players possibly back after a COVID uh, break and and uh, everything. So Rutgers has knocked a lot of good teams off. They're, I think as we speak, they're uh, was it Michigan's playing there? I think tonight on Wednesday night they're playing Rutgers. And uh, so is there, when there are things at uh, at risk there, at stake, you got tournament seating in the Big Ten. You got uh, possible NCAA seating. So I think that, uh, you know, we've, we've kind of probably should have learned our lesson to doubt this team that uh, they're going to be tough and whatever because they seem to pull it through, even though a lot of, I think, with nine or ten of the games have been on my single-digit numbers. Uh, they all seem to have another gear. And uh, I think we haven't seen a lot of good shooting lately, and I think that's going to be very important. So hopefully Brad will get uh, on track because they're going to, They'll put all kinds of people on Johnny Davis, and uh, he hopefully he'll get to the free throw line quickly because uh, he's just getting pounded in there. And so it all depends on how the game's going to be called, I think, in many cases. Yeah, definitely. And it'll be fun to see how it all shakes out as we are sneaking up all of a sudden to tournament time. This is our last episode in February. So obviously it is just around the corner when things get really, really fun uh, in college basketball and the Badgers again, Pat, right in the thick of it. So uh, excited to see how this shakes out as we approach Big Ten tournament and NCAA tournament time wisconsin will obviously be in both given how well they've played this season so uh exciting stuff so i, I do want to wrap up with aaron Rodgers because there's plenty to get to here pat uh we had a i don't know if you saw the instagram post about gratitude on monday night from him then he goes on the pat mcafee show tuesday and says yeah no, no decision yet uh, on my on my corner of things in, in terms of my playing career. Kind of an underwhelming appearance from Aaron Rodgers, as many say, uh, because now the franchise tag period is open for NFL teams, and uh, Aaron Rodgers said his decision should come right around then. So it, it, we're waiting on it. It's coming soon. Uh, but but Rodgers' watch is not furthered a- anymore. What, what, what did you make uh, of what you saw of Aaron Rodgers' comments on Tuesday? Well, I don't know if you saw it, but I... I think I kind of appreciate and kind of uh, commiserate with Ryan Clark. He said, "Don't ask me that question." I mean, he just wanted to say, "Not again." He said, "We've been doing this in the whole off season." He said, "The dude is smart." He said, "He's he's taking things in his own hands and just he's controlling me." Why why did I say that? He says, "Because here we are talking about it again." So, I think that the. At least the Packer people, the people the favorites uh, for having him stay more or less, and not uh, keep you know running it up in the, the flagpole and the media because they're just they're going nuts over the things. But I think the fact that uh, he said some things that in the, in the Instagram, maybe missing, he didn't really say too much about the uh, uh, the, the, the organization. And but then I think on McAfee's show he talked about. He's had some good conversations with Matt and Russ Ball, 
and uh, Brian and uh, probably Mark Murphy, and so I think everybody understands where he's at. And there's probably a point where he's thinking, I want to do this thing, but it's got to be the right way, and I don't want to. I mean, he's he's looking out for other guys, looking out for Devontae. You know, if they, the case of being made, whether they franchise him and how happy he would be one more year or do a long-term deal. It's just hard to say, given the fact that you don't really know how many years you can extend it and how much cap space you can get back in. I mean, I you hear talk of terms like the Indianapolis Colts got $39 million of space in the cap, you know, and so the uh, the Packers went in all in on a bunch of guys, you know, in terms of uh, the Smith brothers and things like that and, and got you know, into the playoffs, which is what the intent was, just who couldn't pull it off at the, um, at the right time. So uh, I think there's, there's a lot. He's, he's not... He's really hedging his bets, but I think he's saying a lot of good things about the Packer organization. And uh, if, in fact, it doesn't work out, it, it doesn't work out for the right reasons, and it doesn't make sense for both parties to do that. And so I think that's what will come down. But the Packers have said they, they want to do it. They obviously know better than anybody what they can do with this cap space and how much they can move and whether or not they can make, move enough people around to have uh, backups or people that are in second roles to uh, to take over and still have a chance to uh, win the uh, the Super Bowl, uh, the fact that they're in this division, the North Division, I think is helpful in that regard. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, you want to make sure you're competitive, and and it's just it's a question of just finding the right combination to to finish off the season versus having a championship season like we have in the last couple of years, but not getting into any kind of serious playoff contention. Yeah, I heard a quote from Mark Murphy last summer, and it was uh, essentially paraphrasing. The Packers only sign players to third contracts who they believe will be in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, and it seems like they are doing whatever it takes to get Devontae Adams back because that's the way they feel about him, and rightfully so. So it'll be interesting to see. They, they uh, made a move on Wednesday, uh, moving around some dollars with Kenny Clark, which freed up about $10 million in cap space. I'm not a cap expert by any means, so I won't get into the nitty-gritty of that. But uh, they're making moves. They're trying to make those adjustments. So uh, like Brian Gutekunst said on Wednesday, uh, they want Rodgers and Devontae back, and they're going to do just about whatever they can to make sure that happens. So uh, it's good to see. I mean, you know, it's it, yeah. they don't want to rebuild. They don't want to start fresh. They don't want to take a year off. You know, it's they, they want to be right back in that Super Bowl conversation like they have been for so long now. So it's uh, it seems like things are trending in the right direction, but does anybody really know besides Aaron Rodgers is the question at this point, Pat? Yeah, well, it, it's a question that you have to – and nobody really knows except the organization in terms of – how much movement around can they do? Like ten million to Clark, that's, that's great. If they do something with one of the Smith brothers, both the Smith brothers, how much can that save? I mean, if I think the fact that there was a couple of guys that are gone, that picks up another thirty million. Can they extend the contract uh, over years and, and make Aaron, you know, have a kind of a last lifetime contract or last contract, so to speak, and that, that, that recognizes his play, gives him, you know, he, he's he's kind of a in the middle of things in terms of wanting to be the higher highest paid player right recognized for his MVPs and things like this but also being part of a team player I mean you've seen Brady do some of those things where he's had some givebacks and 
and that's he's, he's for the good of the team. And, and so it's a different situation. But I think the fact we nobody really knows except the Packers how much can they extend out, how much do they want to extend out, and then save it, and what do they have to do to get the team. And, and without maybe even having to franchise uh, Devontae, I, mean, I think you'll have a guy who kind of mixed emotions playing with uh, – Hall of Fame quarterback, but not making the money he deserves. But they're having kind of the same kind of talk with a number of receivers. So uh, it's 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 going to be a fine line. But I think everything seems to be trending the right direction. That's certainly not a, a given, but it's trending the right direction anyway. You're certainly right on that. And, you know, I can't tell if I'm, as a Packers fan, Pat, you know, I can't tell if I'm more frustrated, excited, a little bit of both, a little nervous, right? A lot of mixture of emotions uh, for for this Packers fan. Are you are you feeling about the same way as we enter the off season? Well, I think you can feel the same way. But you think of what the Packer guys in the office think about it. Right, so it's a great point. They have the they have a handle on it, but I think that uh, it's funny because they keep talking. The national news keeps talking about the forty some million over the cap, and knowing full well that that number is, is bogus in the sense of spreading it out and just what you talked about Kenny Clark saving uh, some eight ten million or so eight million or so in his contract so I think that uh, the, they want to keep the the thoughts around so it keeps a lot of excitement and enthusiasm over their programming and things like this but the Packer fans are on the other side they want something certain and so it <laughs> If the way things have gone so all gone fast, it'll be here before we know it. It certainly will be. Uh, another great episode here of the Pat Richter Show. Pat, appreciate the time as always. We'll talk to you next week. Okay, Alex. Good night. That's the great Pat Richter here on the Pat Richter Show, 100.5 ESPN, the ESPN app, and Wisconsin On Demand. If you've missed any of our conversation, you can find the full show podcast free wherever you get your podcasts. We're at wisconsinondemand.com. That'll do it for me. I'm Alex Strope. Thanks so much for hanging out with us this Saturday morning. ESPN Radio coming up next.